0: All right. Hey, welcome to Faith this morning. So good to have everybody here. This is our annual missions convention, and what a great time to come together and celebrate what God is doing all around the world. He is moving by His power and by His might. And the amazing thing is we get to partner with what God is doing around the world. We have a special guest speaker with us today, Joseph Gordon. Joseph is a missionary, been a missionary to India for 12 years. Then he went to Laos for eight years And now he's back in India. He's the area director for the entire cotton of India. He has three sons and a wife, and they're from Georgia. I want you to give it up. Give Joseph Gordon a wonderful, warm South Carolina welcome. God bless you, buddy, as you come today. Good morning. I'm not as old as I look right now. You'll have to forgive me. I just had a surgery three weeks ago on my ACL, And uh, just got off 38 hours of travel last night at 4 o'clock. I finally arrived in from India, so my leg is is in pain right now. But praise the Lord, God is good. Amen? Amen. You know, whatever we do, we do it all for one purpose, and that is for the glory of God. You know, every time I leave my family, I have a a young son who's very tender. My oldest son, he's not very tender, but my young son's very tender. And every time I leave, I have to sit with him as he's crying a little bit and say, Dad, why do you got to go again? And I always tell him the same thing. I said, son, you know why I got to go, right? And he said, Yeah, because there's still people who don't know Jesus. So everything we do, we do for one purpose, to make sure that everybody in all the world has the chance to know the grace and the love that has set us free. And until everyone knows Jesus is Lord, until everyone has freedom in Christ, every one of us has a responsibility to give our lives to this task, to this purpose, that everyone would receive the grace of God. I'm glad Jesus died for me. (laughs) I'm glad Jesus died for you. But Jesus didn't just die for me, and he didn't just die for you. He also died for every man, every woman, every child in the Middle East today, for those facing wars in Syria and Afghanistan, for those living in poverty in sub-Saharan Africa, for the mountains of India and the plains of the world, there are still billions who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that so freely set us free. And that is why we're here today, to remember. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10 this morning. It is such an honor to be uh, so close to home uh, I, I'm uh, from South Georgia. My wife's actually from Ohio, so she, she doesn't understand all this. But uh, it, it's good to be close to home. Uh, I get to go see my mom this uh, tomorrow or tonight. I'm going to drive back and see my mom for a couple of days. I don't get to see her much, so uh, it is just good to be home for a couple of days. Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Verse 13, for everyone, say with me, everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Father, we just thank You for Your Word today. It is life, it is health, it is strength to us today. And Lord, we just ask that You would open our minds to understand Your Word. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit would say today. Open our eyes to see Your glory. And Lord, open our hearts to receive and change our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone say it. You know, the gospel, there is an inherent simplicity to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is so simple that all you have to do is believe and confess and you will be saved. And that simplicity is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're from America or Africa or Europe or Australia or Asia or from the islands, wherever you are from, everyone is saved by simply believing and calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not rocket science. We try to make it very difficult and very complex. We try to add to the gospel. You gotta change the way you look, you gotta, you gotta change the way you dress, and, and you gotta change everything. No, it's simply about believing and calling on the name of the Lord. That's the only thing that saves you. And I know that not because it's written in the scripture, because I know it because it is written in my heart. When I was uh, 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. I was from a broken family. My mom left when I was a teenager. My dad left within six months of my mom leaving, and I was alone. And when you're hurting inside, two things start to happen. One is you you want to hurt others, and you start to hurt yourself. So I started abusing alcohol. I started abusing drugs. I turned to violence. And by the time I was 20 years old, my life was completely out of control. I had tried for five years to stop. I, I tried everything. I tried going cold turkey. I tried to make new friends. I, I tried to go through programs, and, and nothing happened. And I'm 20 years old, and I'm at the end of my life. I'm carrying guns with me every morning because I'm, I'm gone paranoid. And one night, I'm riding home from my truck, and I'm wondering in my heart, is there anything more to life than this? Is, is it really worth continuing all this pain?" Riding in the truck that night for the first time in my life, I felt the presence of God. I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know who to call. The gospel wasn't simple to me yet because I didn't know. I just knew God was there, and I just knew He was real. And my first impression in that moment was not to rejoice that God had come to visit me. My, my first instinct was fear because the only theological thought I had was this, God kills bad people. And I was convinced I'm dead. God has come to kill me. And I had good reason to believe that. In all my years of trying to get off alcohol and drugs, my last great thought was this, maybe I should date a church girl. And if I date a church girl, maybe she can straighten me out. I thought, that's a good plan, isn't it? Good plan. So I'm 20 years old, and I go out, and I start looking for a church girl, and I found one. She was Assembly of God grade A church girl. She, she was a leader in the youth group. She helped sing in the worship band. She helped do Sunday school. I mean, she was grade A prime choice Christian girl. And so I saw her, and I thought, you know what? I, I think this is the one. I, I think she can help me. So I started trying to woo her and call her and soon we started going out some and then i'd start taking her to church i wouldn't go to church but i'd just drop her off at church and pick her up at church and i was getting close to church (laughs) then one thing led to another and uh pretty soon she started asking me said what are you going to do tonight and i said well you know tonight i just need one night i'm gonna go out with my friends tonight she said no i want to go too i said no i don't think you want to do what me and my friends do and she said, no, I want to go out. So she started going out with me and she started drinking with me and uh, she started hanging out. I was living alone at, uh, at a house and she started staying with me some. And then uh, uh, next thing you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a 20-year-old, got his own house. So, uh, so all the youth group starts coming over to my house and having parties. And, uh, and now I, I'm uh, waking people up at my house on Sunday morning saying, you guys are supposed to be in church. Get out of my house and go to church. So now I have corrupted an entire Assembly of God youth group, and I'm thinking God's gonna kill me. So God's here, and I'm thinking, I'm dead. What I didn't know at that moment was Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is the one who's always searching for the broken. Jesus didn't want to kill me. He probably wanted to kill them for being backsliders, but but he loved me. <laughs> And so I drove my truck home. I sobered up in a moment. I drove my truck home. I ran in the house, and I knelt by my bed. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And from 2 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock in the morning, I was just there beside the bed, and I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know John three sixteen. I didn't know that if I would just believe and call that God would set me free. I didn't know. And I'm sitting there by my bed all night, and I'm thinking, God, please don't kill me. Please give me a chance. Give me a chance to make things right. The sun came up, and it's in the morning. I think maybe there's hope. I got back in my truck. I drove into the town, and first church I saw, I pulled into the church. The doors were open, walked in the church, and sat on the front row. And it was about me and, uh, and 20, 60-year-old ladies. <laughs> and what I didn't know is nobody had gotten saved in that church since the days of Moses. I mean, it had been, it had been a long time. So I'm sitting on the front row and I've got my ripped up blue jeans and my Budweiser t shirt, my cowboy hat on, and I'm I'm just sitting on the front row thinking, Man, I gotta hear something, I gotta get something. And this lady gets up to sing that morning, and uh, and, and some of you have heard this said before, and she stood this hands up to sing and she says, Well, don't listen to how I sing, just listen to the words. And I can promise you, when there's bad singing, it's hard to hear the words. And it was just horrible. I mean, the piano's out of tune, and it was the most in-tune thing in the building. I mean, so it's, it's bad. So after about 30 minutes of church, my second thought about God was, God really likes bad music. <laughs> I'm glad to have learned different since. You have wonderful worship here today, wonderful worship. And so the pastor stands up, and he starts preaching, and he was preaching from the book of Revelation. And he was in the part where it talks about horses, and he's talking about red horses and black horses and white horses and pale riders and vials and trumpets. And after an hour of church, I'm thinking to me, am I supposed to join the rodeo to get right with God? Do, you, do I need to move to Montana? I mean, how do you, what's, what's any of this got to do with getting right with God? And I'm just so confused in my mind, and I don't know what to do. And finally, at the end of the service, the pastor was speaking and he just stopped. He closed his eyes, and he said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, there's somebody here. You came here today because Jesus wants to change your life. And I didn't know anything about church etiquette, so I just jumped out of my seat, and I said, that's me. And I walked down, and I knelt down. And for the first time, I believed that God could change my life. I called on the name of the Lord. And I stood up a different man that day. I never desired drugs again. I never drank again. I never smoked another cigarette. Jesus Christ changed my life. Because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I set it as my goal from that moment. The purpose of my life is to make sure that everyone has a chance to know the God who gives life. I don't go around the world and preach because I feel like I'm going to hell if I don't. I don't go around the world and preach because I feel like I need a blessing from God. I do it because there is a simple reality in my life that I am what I am by the grace of God. And without the grace of God, I would be nothing. And I just want everybody to have a chance to know that grace. You cannot blame sinners for acting like sinners when they've never had the opportunity to encounter the presence of God. Why is there war in the Middle East? Because there's complacency in the church. Why are there people starving around the world today? Why is human trafficking such an issue today? Because we in the church are complacent. We live and rejoice in the blessings of God while others die. Without ever having a chance to know this grace. Don't fool yourself. You are not wealthy today and driving a car today and living in a nice house today simply because you worked hard. You are where you are today by the grace of God. Because I can promise you today, if you were born in the hills of India, in a small little village where I work, You would not have grown up knowing the name of Jesus. All your hard work would have simply produced enough food to possibly feed your belly. All of your labor would have possibly provided enough so that you could sleep without the rain falling on your head. Whatever you are today, whatever you have today, the fact that you are saved today is by the grace of God, for you to be born in a place where you could hear His name, where you could learn to believe, where you could learn to call. It is by the grace of God that we are what we are. You know, I've had people tell me before, you know, I'm, I'm so glad God called you to India, not me. I have to be careful when I'm in jet lag and I'm in a little bit of pain and my wife's not with me I tend to say things I shouldn't say sometimes so I was in a church one time and this this elderly saint came up to me after service and she said brother Gordon I'm just so glad God called you to India not me I don't know it just didn't strike me right and I looked at her and I said you know what I think God's glad too I said anybody with an attitude like that you can't do anything for the Lord let me tell you, it is a privilege. Don't ever feel sorry for a missionary unless they're a sorry missionary. And a sorry missionary is somebody that wants you to feel sorry for them all the time. Oh, pray for us. I, you know, we, we have to eat this food, we have to live in these places, and it's. Don't, don't listen to all that. It's a privilege to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an honor to be his servant. It is an honor to stand the God who changed our lives to give that chance to others. And I can tell you that that in my close to 25 years of service overseas, that I have seen Muslims believing and calling on the name of the Lord and they walk with Jesus today. I have seen Buddhist monks call on the name of the Lord and seeing their lives changed. I have seen Hindu priests call on the name of the Lord and seeing their lives changed. I have seen people from tribes and nations and I tell you everywhere I go there is the simplicity of the gospel that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is a truth no matter where you go. That's the simplicity. And the simplicity rests with God. But now we go into the difficulty. So if it's so simple, why are there so many problems? If it's so simple, Why are there so few that are saved? And I would call it the human equation. You see, everything left with God is simple. Salvation is in the hands of God. Man has nothing to do with salvation, so salvation is simple. But then there is this idea of how can they call on someone they haven't believed? How can they believe in someone they haven't heard? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they be sent? You see, now God brings us into the equation. You know, I wish sometimes, God, why didn't you just use angels? (laughs) Why didn't you just use angels? (laughs) Why bring people like me and you into the equation? (laughs) Let me tell you, that's God's grace. God doesn't need to use us. God allows us to be used. I mean, God could just send an angel and just bellow over the earth and blow a trumpet and proclaim the goodness of God. He could do it without us. But just like a father with his child who allows his child to do work that he could do better, God loves us as his children and allows us to get involved in his redemption processes on this earth, to be his voice, to be his spokesman, to be his ambassadors to the lost and the dying, saying, come to me, all of you that are broken and weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is the grace of God that God doesn't need to use you. God doesn't need your help, but God allows you to be used. But this is the difficulty of the gospel. You know, before Jesus left, we are told that after He died, He spent 30 days with His disciples. And for 30 days, He kept telling them the same thing. Go into all the world, Preach the gospel to all people. You got it? We got it, Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I have taught you. And I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. You got it? Got it, Jesus. As the Father is sending me, now I am sending you to seek out and to save that which is lost. You got it? Got it, Jesus. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You got it? We got it, Jesus. And then we're told in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus started ascending in their presence, and he's going up into heaven. And then we get to voice, verse 11, and it says all the disciples, they're just standing there looking. And I can imagine as they're looking, they start to say to one another, where'd he go? What are we supposed to do now? If he wanted us to do something, he should have told us. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? And it said that literally God had to send an angel. And the angel comes to them and says, why are you standing, gazing up into heaven? <laughs> and for 2,000 years, the church has just been standing around, gazing up in heaven. Lord, just let me know what you want me to do. Lord, I just don't know what you want me to do. And then we hear somebody announce hey, we're going to be doing an outreach this weekend. And we need everybody who can. We need you to show up and join with us. And let's go reach people for Jesus. And we're standing there with our head looking into heaven. God, just let me know what you want me to do. You know, we need some people to work with our youth and pour their lives into our youth. God, if you just tell me what to do, I'm ready. We don't have Sunday school teachers. Some of you that know the word of God, come and join. God, if you just tell me what to do. (laughs) Standing and gazing into heaven. God didn't send an angel today. He sent a lot less than an angel. He sent me. To call you out today and to say to you, why do you stand gazing? Literally in our world, there are 12 roughly 12,000 people groups, distinct groups of people in our world who are distinguished with language and culture and ethnicity and and geography. They are distinct groups of people. There are roughly 12,000 in our world. Around the world today, those who do the research tell us that over 6,500 of them are still considered unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ today. That means over half of all of the people groups on planet earth today have yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In India alone, there are 2,250 people groups just in India alone. And in India, there remains over 2,030 of them that have yet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means around the world, two thousand years after Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, two thousand years after Jesus said, go and baptize them and teach them, two thousand years after Jesus said, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the world, two thousand years later, we have yet to complete even half of the task. How is it possible? How is it possible? With all of the people we've got, with all of the resources we've got, with all of the technology we've got, that all that we have at our fingertips, and yet, after 2,000 years, it's not been done. See, this is the difficulty to the gospel. It is the human equation. You know, and I've traveled to enough churches And I've been with enough people that I understand the problem is not having enough people that love Jesus. I mean, I believe that most of you in here today love Jesus. I believe the majority of you in here today are going to be in heaven. I believe that you want to do what's right. You see, the number one problem in the church today is we get distracted with stuff that don't matter. It's not that we're doing evil things. We just get distracted with good things and we never do the best thing. We can get so distracted with the new house and the new car, so distracted with following the fashion trends, and so distracted with the sports and with the activities, we can get so distracted with the things in this world that days and weeks and months and years go by without us contemplating the idea that while I have received the grace of God, half of the world has yet to be engaged with this grace. And there is a responsibility that lays on every one of our lives that those who have received the grace of God, those who have received life from God, are responsible to share that life with others. But it's easy to get distracted. You know, unreached people are usually unreached for a reason. And that's because most of them live in dangerous difficult, isolated, hard-to-reach planet places on this planet. I mean, if they just leave, live where we can fly in and preach, they probably wouldn't be unreached anymore. But a lot of them live in places like Iraq. They live in places like Syria. They live in places like Afghanistan, where to reach them, it may cost us our life. And So we as the church have decided that the price of reaching them is too great, so we leave them unreached. Some of them live in the hill areas, where to reach them means days and weeks of walking through hills just to get to one little village. And it's hard and it's difficult, so we determine it's too difficult, so we relieve them unreached. It is an attitude. What are we living for? You know, there is a theology that has cursed the church in America today. And that theology is this that the chief end of life is the happiness of man. Let me tell you, if you believe that, you'll never do what is necessary to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe God's chief purpose for your life is to make you more wealthy, more healthy, And more happy, you will never engage with those who need Jesus the most. Because to engage with them will cost you something. It will cost you your health. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you your wealth. It will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. And if we are going to reach them, we as a church must rise up and saying, God, we are so thankful for the grace that you have given us that we want to do whatever we can do to make sure everybody on the face of this earth has a chance to engage with this grace that changes lives, whatever it takes. I'm so glad I had wonderful mentors when I got saved who just pushed me to go after God. I remember one time I came in and sat with my pastor, and I just said I'd been saved a couple of months, and I just said, Pastor, I'm just missing something. I need more. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he told me, he said, go home, read your Bible. Whatever the Bible says do, just go do it. I said, all right. So I went home, read my Bible, and that day I happened to be reading in the book of Luke. And the first thing I read when I got home was the story of this rich man who came to Jesus. And the rich man said to Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, follow the commandments. He said, I've already done that. And he said, Jesus looked on him with compassion. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And you know what saved me that day? There were no mature Christians around me that day. That's what saved me. Because a mature Christian could have helped me to understand the verse. Well, you know, you don't have to be crazy. Don't be radical. Just don't go to Starbucks this week and give that extra money to the church. Just uh, give a little bit extra. Maybe instead of 10%, give 15%. But my pastor said, whatever the Bible says do, just do it. And I wasn't that smart and wasn't that mature, so I just did it. So literally within a month, gave my house away, gave my truck away, sold all my guns, all my rod and reels. I was living in redneck paradise when I got saved. Got rid of everything I had. I ended up with two pair of pants and two shirts, a pair of cowboy boots, a sleeping bag, and a flashlight. And I set out on my journey with the Lord. And that now was uh, closing in on 30 years ago that I set out on my journey with the Lord. And I can tell you that the Lord has never forsaken The Lord has never allowed me to be in lack. I have never slept on the ground that God has always provided. I still don't have a house. I still don't own a car. I still don't have a bank account with any money in it. But I can tell you there is no life worth living like a life that is lived fully abandoned to the cause of Christ. And I don't do it to get reward. I do it because I've received a reward. I've received life. And I just am crazy enough to believe that everybody should have a chance to know this life. But the fact is, after 200 years, it is a proven fact that if we continue to do what we do, we will continue to get the same results. Are you with me? I think it was Einstein that said the the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect different results. And after 2,000 years of church history, I can assure you that if we as the church continue to live as we are living, they will continue to die as they're dying without grace, without hope, without life. Because they will never be able to call on someone they haven't believed. They will never be able to believe in someone they have not heard. And they will never be able to hear without a preacher. And unless there are churches standing with those preachers, we will never be able to send them to the darkest, deepest, remotest places on this planet today. It is the joining, the unity, the body of Christ together. It's not just a missionary that changes the world. It is a church that engages together to say in prayer, with finances, with life, We're standing, we're sending so that everyone can call on the name of the Lord. And that's why we're here today. And I can tell you when we all do it, great things start to happen. Years ago, we we targeted this area far up in the hills of India. It was right on the border with Pakistan. Very difficult area of the country. And we knew God put it on our hearts to go up into this area. And we had some churches that came along beside us and joined with us and said, whatever you need, we're going to make it happen. So they helped us to buy this uh, video projector. And we had this big generator. This is back in the day. We didn't have small stuff. We had this big generator, and we've got all this stuff, and we're going to go and preach up in this village. And my wife's aunt, she wanted to get in on it. So I had these old boots that I used to wear, and they had holes in them. And I just thought they broke in right. They fit right. But my aunt said, no, they're, they're old, they're nasty, you need new shoes. So, so my wife's aunt went online and bought a pair of boots. Well, this is before online. She went to a store and bought them and sent them all the way to India. And literally, this is the most expensive boot. She's rich. And she went and bought the most expensive boots you can buy. She just went to a store and said, what's the best thing you got? And They gave her the best. And she sends them all the way. It took me about three months. They finally get to the house. And I was going on a trek the next week, and I opened up this box, and here's these new boots. And I'm like, man, this is, this is great. Man, I'm ready to go. And so put those boots on, and there was a problem. They fit just right. And if you know anything about hiking, you know your foot swells as you walk. So fitting just right is a bad thing. And I thought, no, these things are expensive and all. I'm going to break them in; they'll do fine. So the next week we take off walking. We're going to go to this village, and it's going to take us about seven days to walk to the village. And it's going to take us about seven days back. And so we get ready to go, and the first day is just kind of gradual. We're starting at about 10,000 feet up the mountains, and we walk from 10,000 up to about 12,000, not a bad day. And, man, my feet are feeling good, and I'm showing all the guys, that, man, look at my new boots, this is really good, life is good. Next day we take off walking, and now we got to go from 12,000 up close to 20,000 over the ridge and down into the next valley. So going up takes us about six, seven hours to the top going up. And then we had about five hours going down the other side. And my feet are just banging into these boots coming down the end of that thing. And when we got to the end, I can barely walk anymore. My feet are swollen, and I'm in pain. I take my boots off, and when I took my first boot off, there's just blood. My whole sock is covered in blood. Pulled my uh, sock off, and uh, two of my toenails just came off with it. I mean, I'm in pain. I got blood coming out my toes, and, it's, and my feet are hurting. And I'm showing the guys. I said, guys, look at my feet, man. I, we always take brand new guys. I had about five guys with me. All of them had been saved in the last two weeks. And as soon as people get saved, I just say, come on, let's go. We're going to go preach. And we just start taking them out preaching. So I had like five new guys with me, and I show them my feet. And I said, guys, look at them. Oh, man, this is horrible. And they said, oh, they're, they're like, yeah. And I said, guys, we're going to have to go home tomorrow. I can't go five more days than seven days back. There's just no way. So that night I go to bed, and when I wake up in the morning, now my feet are swollen. And man, I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get back home? I mean, we got to walk through snow, through the mountain to get back home. I can't go barefoot. i got to put these boots back on. And so I decided to open up my Bible. How many of you have ever done a Bible flip? You know what a Bible flip is? You're just hoping for something good. <laughs> oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, he will mount me up on eagles' wings. Thank you. Aren't you glad Psalms is in the middle of the Bible? That usually when you flip, you're kind of hitting there? So I get ready to flip, and I don't want you to think I'm completely insane. I'm pretty close. I live on the line. My, my wife will testify that. I did drugs a long time, and I'm kind of shot. But my, my wife will testify to that. But I'm not completely out of my mind, and so I I don't want you to think I think this is normative. Never happened to me since. This is the only time it ever happened to me. But I flipped my Bible open, and when I did, I heard a voice that sounded like thunder that went off in my mind. And I heard the Lord say to me with such force, Who is your Lord? Just like that. Man, I shut my Bible, and I sat back, and I was thinking, man, that was weird. That's... And I just said, Lord, I'm pretty sure of it. You're, You're my Lord. You're my everything. And I got ready to open my Bible again, and I heard that same voice a second time with authority. Who is your Lord? And I knew the Lord was trying to speak something to me, and I just sat there a minute, and I just said, Lord, Lord, just whatever you want to tell me, whatever I need to do, just let me know. Then I just heard this still small voice. It's the way I used to hear the voice of the Lord. Just a still small voice in my mind say to me, "Are you going to serve me, or are you going to serve your feet? Who's your Lord?" I said, "All right." I said, "God, I'm not going to serve my feet. You're my Lord. I'm going to serve you." So I got up, put bandages on my toes, jammed my foot in the boot, and told these guys that were with me. I said, "Guys, I know I said we're going back, but we're not. We're going to that village somehow. We're going to get there." So we take off walking. Five days later, we come walking in this little village. We walk seven days to get to a village with ten houses. And walk into this village, and as we're walking in, I mean, we're nasty. I hadn't had a bath in seven days. The rivers are frozen. I had anything to eat good. We just ate dry ramen noodles for seven days. To this day, when I see ramen noodles, I get gag reflex. If I'm in Walmart, I just... We are hungry. We're tired. I know the Scripture says how beautiful are the feet of them, but I had nasty feet. I mean, bloody, cut, wounded. I'm sure by this point I'm going to lose some toes because I can't feel my toes anymore. I mean, it's, it's bad. Nasty feet. And I come walking into this village... And I look and there's an older lady in the garden and she sees me and she stands up and she runs over to me with a big smile and said, where did you come from? Nobody ever comes to visit our village. We're so glad you're here. Why have you come to our village? I stopped a second and took a deep breath and I said, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I came here to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. She looks at me a minute and she looks at the guys with me and she said, well, I don't know who Jesus is, but you look like you need a bath and some food. you want to come to my house? And I forgot all about Jesus. I said, I'd love to. That's, that's great. So we go over to the house, and she puts some ice in a pot and melts it, and so we get to wash our face and feed up a little bit. And I go and sit down, she's got this black uh, iron kettle and uh, got an open fire, and she's cooking some vegetables on I don't even like vegetables, and I'm like dying, just mouth-watering, because all I ate is ramen noodles for the past seven days. And so I'm sitting in front of this fire just smelling it. And it's like, oh, man, this is incredible. And and as she's sitting there, she stops a minute. And she says, tell me about this Jesus. He must be very important for you to have come so far. I started in the beginning and I shared the gospel for about 30 minutes. I, I shared from creation all the way, the, die, the death, the life, the resurrection of Christ, how he's coming back again and will change our lives. And when I stopped, she just looked at me a second. And she said, is that real or is it just a story? And I just felt impressed by the Spirit. I said, yes, it's real. And I said, and He's alive, and He's here with us right now. If you will open your heart, I'm going to pray for you right now, and I'm going to pray that He touches your life right now, that He reveals Himself to you right now. I said, are you ready? She said, I'm ready, and I prayed. And when I finished praying, I opened up my eyes, and she'd fallen back into the wall. And her eyes are like big as saucers, and she turns. There were two young ladies who had gotten saved a couple weeks ago that were with me. And she turns to them, and she said, what would that man just do to me? She said, when he was talking, it felt like there was some kind of power that started pulsing through my life. And she just starts weeping. She said, my sister's dying. She said, just a couple of days ago, the men of the village... It took them weeks. They carried her all the way to the city. Took her to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's no hope. Take her home and let her die. The men of the village just arrived back this week with my, with my sister. They say, there's no hope. My sister can't move anymore. She said, but I believe if you'll do to my sister whatever you just did to me, I believe my sister will be all right. Let me tell you, that's pressure. <laughs> that's pressure. That's pressure. And I'm thinking a second, I'm thinking, man, that's, this, is, this is a lot of pressure. And I just felt impressed, and I said to her, I said, no, I can't do that. I said, if I, if, I, if I did that and it did happen, you'd think it has something to do with me. And I said, it has nothing to do with me. I said, I'm nobody. I just happened to know Jesus, and he changed my life, and he's the one who changes lives. I said, but I tell you what, these two young girls, they know Jesus, and he listens to all of us, and so that you know it's Jesus and not me, I'm going to have them go with you, and they're going to pray for your sister, and God's going to touch your sister. She said, great. She grabbed him by the hand, goes running out the door, and I told the rest of the guys, I said, guys, we got to pray. This is... There's a lot on the line. Let's pray. And so we start praying. For about an hour, they were gone. And after an hour, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of just knowing, man, God is doing something. At the end, they came back. And when she walked in the door, I said, tell me what happened. She said, nothing. Said they shouted, danced, jumped around. Nothing happened. Finished the meal. Gave us something to eat. Gave us a place to sleep on the floor. Next morning, we woke up. I told the guys, let's break up into groups of two. Let's just go through the village. Let's just go to every house and pray for everybody in the village. So we just go out. Up on the Tibetan plateau where we were, the houses are all flat. It never rains. And it's so cold that people will climb up onto the rooftops in the morning just to sit in the sunshine, just to warm up. So we're walking out. We're standing in the sun, and we see people around the village climbing up onto the roofs. We see this lady at the far end of the village. She gets to her rooftop. And only this lady, when she got to the rooftop, she starts shouting, I'm healed! She comes down and the whole village runs out because they all know her. And they all know her story. And they sit in her house and the lady told them, she said, Last night, the God of these people walked into my house. And he reached down his hand. And he picked me up. She turned to this young girl that had prayed for her and She said, please forgive me. But I forgot what his name is. She said, if you will tell me his name, I will never worship another God. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I will never forget that moment walking out of that house and I just felt this sense of destiny come over my life. And I said, God, this is why you saved me. This is why you saved me as an alcoholic in Georgia and you called me and sent me out to be able to walk into a village one day and share the gospel with those who've never heard and to see someone calling on your name. A life change. It is so simple, and yet it's so difficult. And I'll never forget, I'm standing outside of that house, and I'm just like reveling in this moment. Then I heard that voice that I had heard days earlier, the same voice of the Spirit. I heard that voice of the Spirit speak to me and say, this woman almost missed out on eternity because you were worried about your feet. She almost missed it. And I thought to myself how many people have missed out on a relationship with Jesus because I was worried about me. So worried about me. So worried about my family. Let me tell you I understand there's stuff to worry about. I spent time in prison for preaching the gospel. Spent time locked up in a little metal box under interrogation for weeks in laos i understand there's pressure i understand the pressure we have a son who has autism We're raising him in a place where there's no special school it's not easy i have a son who has a muscle disorder he was diagnosed a few years ago with muscular dystrophy i understand challenges understand that there's good reasons sometimes to not do it. But let me tell you this. As long as we're distracted with our own stuff, as long as we're focused on our own stuff, people will continue to die without Jesus. Today, we have the power to change the world. Today, we have everything we need. We have the power of the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the call of God. We have the technology. We have the money. We have everything we need to change this world except a desire to do it. And when there rises up within the church that desire of a people that said, Here we are. Send us. We will invest in those who are going. We will pray. When the desire begins to rise in the church, we have the ability to change the world in this generation right now. We can do it if we decide we want to do it. And let me tell you, the world is waiting today. There doesn't have to be war in Syria today. There doesn't have to be war in Iraq today. There doesn't have to be people dying in Afghanistan today. Sexual slavery is not a reality that has to be. The poverty of death, of people dying without food, doesn't have to be. We, as the church, have the ability to make the difference today. And all it requires is a simple dedication that says, From this day, we live for one purpose to make Jesus famous in all the earth. And Jesus is the answer for terrorism. Jesus is the answer for death and destruction. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is has the power to change any situation if we will just take it. If we will just send it. And I do believe today that when we send preachers to go and preach, when people begin to hear, those people will begin to believe. And when they begin to believe, they will begin to call the name of the Lord, and we will see the church established every corner of this earth. That is our challenge. Would you just stand with me today, and I just want to pray for you. Would you do this? Would you just lift both hands in surrender to the Lord? And I want you to hear the call of the Lord today. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. I want you to hear the call of God today. Go to the broken, to the hurting. I want you to hear the call of God today. Go and bring my lost sheep home. I want you to hear the call of the Lord today. The call is for everyone who is called on the name of the Lord. If you have called on the name of the Lord, the Lord is calling you to go and to preach the Gospel. You need to go to your neighbor. You need to go to your classmate. You need to go into your city. You need to go in your workplace. You need to go in your community. And then after you have gone and done all that, you still need to go or send the gospel to every corner of this earth right now with both hands lifted as a sign of surrender to the Lord. Just simply say to the Lord, my life belongs to you. Father, I pray for your people today. And Lord, we give ourselves to you. Holy and unabandoned, Lord, we, we leave everything to You, Lord God. Our life will be lived for You in Your glory. Lord, we determine from this day with an attitude of gratitude because of so much You have done for us. Lord, we don't want to live our lives for our own benefit. We don't want to live our lives just to benefit our own families and our own communities. But Lord, we want to live our lives to fulfill Your purpose in this earth. That everyone would have the chance to call on the name of the Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would begin to speak to us now about what you would have us to do. Lord, every one of us speak to us about those we need to be preaching the gospel to right here and around the world. Speak to us, Lord, about how we can be involved in sending this word to those who have never heard. Lord, use us today that your name would be famous in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.